We want to share a brand new song with you guys. It was actually just released this week uh, by a guy named Phil Wickham, who wrote some of the worship songs that we sing. And I heard it because Will Lindauer sent me a text saying, have you heard this song? And I said, no, I haven't. And I really loved it. And I thought it tied in beautifully with what Pastor Scott's going to preach on. So we're going to put the words up so you can kind of see them go by. The young ladies are going to sing with some energy and some fun, right? Aren't they doing great, by the way? Aren't they? Yeah. I love them. Anyway, this is a song called The Ascension. I pray that it would just stir your heart and get your feet tapping and ready to hear God's word. Ready? It goes like this. One, two, one, two, three, and... Let's begin the climb of 
sure there are some notes hit there that I will never ever be capable of doing. Thank you Chad and, uh, <laughs> and ladies. That was awesome. Very gifted. So uh, there you go. Nice job, Ryan. Well, uh, excited to be with you guys this morning and we're uh, starting a new series and uh, you may recognize the cool guy on your bulletin there behind the clock. Um, but we're, uh, we're going to be diving into a study uh, of the, the book of 2 Timothy, and you may have noticed if you've been attending uh, for a while that I have a, a tendency to talk, I've realized this, I don't know if you do this after you speak uh, fairly often, you recognize some things that you keep going back to, and one of the words that I've recognized in my life that I keep going back to, even in my sermons, I keep mentioning this idea of eternity, of eternity, this idea that, that's kind of captured my mind and thoughts and and. Uh, and what I've noticed is that I'm not the only one. The, the world around us is pretty captured by that whole idea as well. In fact, my wife came home with a, a bottle of drinking water the, this week uh, that she had she'd bought. And, uh, and I, she looked at the, the label and she said, it's eternal, eternal. And I was like, what about that? And what, what about you walk through the cologne section and men, men what do we have? The, the cologne Eternity and it's all fancy schmancy, but the the but there's our world is is kind of captured with this idea of the eternal, with the idea of eternity, and uh, I, even when you're looking back, uh, I don't know, you'll have to play back in your mind a little bit, but you may remember in the 2000 Olympics what the theme was for their Olympics. If you think back to it, was, it happened in Sydney, Australia, and at the end of all the the procession, the beginning opening ceremony, at the end of all the fireworks, they had this, this image of the bridge that, uh, that lit up the word eternity. It was the, it was the theme for that. And I had, had fun. Our, our elders uh, are going through a book uh, right now. It's called Vertical Church. And I got to read a little bit of the background of why that word was chosen as an entire uh, country was choosing a, a word that kind of captured their theme for the Olympics. And I was reading that and I thought I'd share it with you guys just as we start this topic of eternity now. It says this, in Australia, in November 1932 in Australia, a down-on-his-luck World War I veteran named Arthur Stace was homeless and hopelessly addicted to alcohol. His life of gambling and petty crime had only worsened his poverty and driven him to suicidal depression. Having failed at everything he could think of to content the aching cavity in his soul, he stumbled one Sunday night into a church. In God's providence, preaching that evening was a man named John Ridley who spoke on the subject of eternity. You're on your way somewhere, brother, and God made you to long for the place you're headed. For Ridley eloquently described the settled destination of every human being with the, world, uh, with the word eternity. Repeating it again and again. Eternity, eternity, eternity. Those eight letters captured Stace's mind and demanded from his life a major course correction. Concurred by the conquered by the message of salvation and Christ's provision for his own eternity, Stace dedicated the rest of his life to doing what he could to help people find the God who had found him. 
Every day for more than 35 years, Stace rose before the sun, and after a cup of tea and a few moments in the Bible reading, he'd go out into the streets of Sydney with a piece of chalk and write the word eternity. Over and over, thousands of times, Stace wrote the word uh, the word in the same beautiful script, the same script that you see there, eternity. As the town awoke, people would see the word everywhere. On the sidewalk, outside a coffee shop, on the backside of a street sign, and on the cornerstone at the base of a building. Eternity mysteriously appeared all over town. Somehow, instead of being insulted by the overtly spiritual message, people reported feeling strangely encouraged. From all walks of life, Sydney's citizens were stumbling upon eternity scrawled in the most surprising places. Until 1956, no one knew where the writing came from, but they finally found him, Arthur Stace, and no one demanded he stop his daily discipline. Instead, they supported, even celebrated, his graffitied message of the life to come. Thirty years after his death, the host country chose that word to express the longings of the world at the first Olympics of the new millennium, eternity. It's a powerful word that penetrates deep into the soul of every human being. I thought that was interesting just to see how God worked behind the scenes of elevating that as a priority. And the truth is, for me, it's captured my mind because so many times I slow down and think about the fact that we're eternal. From our very first breath, from the first time that we came into this, into this world, we're eternal. Like there's no end. In 10,000 years from now, we're still going to be just as, as present. We're going to be just as aware. This is only the beginning of eternity. It's a crazy thought, isn't it? And that's really uh, what, what in my life has kind of created a little bit more of a sense of urgency. Because the reason why I, I put this, this title Eternity Now is because the truth is eternity isn't something that starts after we die. We are eternal and it starts now. And so the question is, how do we use the time that we have allotted? Is there urgency to our days? Do we see this as like, man, we've got only this short window to re redirect people's eternity. If you think about that, you've heard me say that a lot of times. Last week as an ambassador, we have the opportunity to change somebody's eternal destination. I think the, the, the reason I bring all this up of the idea of eternity because I think in this book of 2 Timothy, as we're going to start to study we're going to see that, that, that Paul had this sense of urgency like none other in any of his other writings. There's a, there's a tone in his writings because this book, you might not know this, 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul ever wrote. It was the last book that he ever wrote. It was written while he was in prison, which uh, you hear that all the time when you hear about Paul's writing. You're like, yeah, back in prison. But this time it was a little bit, of a, little bit different of a, of a tone even in the prison that he was in. Before he had been under house arrest, now he's actually literally in shackles and chains. The, in, the, in the time period, this was when uh, Nero, who was the emperor of the, of the uh, time, had actually, it's crazy if you actually study this in history, Nero had actually... Uh, in a, in a fit of rage, had actually burned his capital city down and then blamed it on the believers of the time, blamed it on Christians. So persecution was at an all-time high in the, uh, amongst believers. And so they're being executed, tortured. And Paul, during this, is just sitting there in prison 
waiting for that knock on the door, just wondering when his last day is going to be. Can you imagine? Would you have a, a sense of, uh, of urgency, a racing upon uh, the next season of eternity? And that's what Paul had. And so everything that's said in this book has a degree of, uh, uh, of urgency like none other. There's almost no suggestions. It's almost all imperatives and commands. And it's written, it's interesting because it's written, 1 Timothy was written to the church. 2 Timothy is written to the man. This is written to the man, his, his close friend. Paul's around 60 years old right now. And Timothy, a younger pastor, about 30, uh, he's writing to them with a sense of urgency. He has some, a message that he wants to get across uh, to Timothy. And he's very urgent about it. Can you imagine sitting there waiting, not sure when that day is going to come? Like, man, is this the day that it's going to come to an uh, end here on earth? Like, and so that's in his writing. I remember growing up, I don't know if you guys had this, where your, your mom would say to you when you'd got in trouble, wait until dad gets home before you get punished. Anybody else have that with a parent? That it was always like, oh, wait, uh, you're not getting punished now, just wait for dad to get home. And so what, what did you have? Like all afternoon, you're like clock checking, you're like, oh man, this is not going to be good when dad gets home and found out what I did as a dummy. And uh, and. Uh, <laughs> And so that same sense of urgency I was thinking of with Paul sitting there waiting until his final breath is to come. And so that's where he's writing this, this letter. And what he's writing to is he's writing to a discouraged Timothy. He's writing to a discouraged Timothy that was weighed down. Can you imagine with persecution all around him trying to ha uh, manage and lead a church? I can't even imagine. It's hard enough in, in, uh, in, uh, in, in our town, in Agora Hills, to lead a church. Imagine trying to lead it amidst the persecution. And, and Timothy's discouraged. And so that's where Paul's writing. He's wanting to encourage him to, to keep on. To keep pressing on, and isn't that so much of us right now, if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, man, I'm going through a tough season, man. This is a difficult stretch. And so I think the words in this, especially this first chapter, you're going to hopefully find as an encouragement, as an encouragement to keep on. But let me pray for us before we dive into the text. God, we thank you for your word that's so relevant, that speaks to things that are even thousands of years later rattling still through our minds, the, the idea of eternity, the, the idea that there's an urgency, the idea that, that it's not going to be long before your return. God, we just pray that as we study this book that you guide and lead and direct, that you would speak to us at our point of need. That even here this morning for someone that showed up and is just, just worn out, run down, and just, and just weary, I just pray that this passage would be a, an encouragement to press on to keep on going, to keep on running the race, fighting the fight, God. I pray that you do that in us this morning. We can only do that in the power of your spirit. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, the, the idea here is he points out in the text a, a number of different things that are words of encouragement to spur us on, to keep on going. And really, if you think about it in the Christian life, it's not about just going forward at an altar call. It's about what does it look like the next 20 30, 40, 50, 70, who knows how, how many years left, how to keep on, how to keep on pressing on, how to keep on chasing after Christ, and what does that look like? He gives some words of encouragement. If you guys can turn with me, we're in 2 Timothy, and you can guess where we're at, 2 Timothy 1, 1. We're going to be working over the next couple of months. We're going to be going working through the whole book of 2 Timothy, but we're in 1, 1 here. 
And the first word or challenge that he gives or reasons to keep on is this, is that you have so much to look forward to. So keep on. You have so much to look forward to. Take a look at verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pause there for a second. You have so much to look forward to, though. Typically, when we talk about things that we have to look forward to, we usually think about things to come in the future, right? We usually think about when somebody goes through and starts talking about heaven and all the things that we have to look forward to. Finally, God being acknowledged in his rightful place, being present with the Lord. No more sickness, no more death, no more war, complete peace, no more temptation. You fill in the blank what it is that you're looking forward to in heaven someday. There's a lot of things that we can be excited about for heaven, but a lot of times when you're thinking about it, you're like, yeah, but but what about now? What about now? What do we have to look forward to now as the life of a believer? What do, what do we have as a word of encouragement? What he describes there, he says, Paul mentions the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. That's speaking about the life now. That's talking about the promise and the encouragement that we have of living a life in Christ and what that looks like. And he points out a number of different things if you unpack even that little section of Scripture. The first thing that I think is something that we look forward to in the present is purpose. Is purpose. We have a, we're kind of wired up with a, a longing for some degree of purpose. I re- remember when I was younger, it just kind of came to me this last week when we were visiting my kid's school and they had the, the crosswalk person. That's kind of in your, my patience level is just like, okay, come on, crosswalk guy, got to get over there. But, uh, but I remember when I was in seventh grade, uh, I'm glad you feel that too, Brian. But I remember in, uh, in seventh grade, I was given the job as a student to be a crosswalk person. They gave me the sweet orange like badge thing that went across here. I had the, the little flag banner thing. I was, I was directing traffic, you know, I was doing, and I, and I added some flair to it, I must say. But, but, uh, but uh, the, the fun piece was, is like, I remember thinking when they gave me this job where I'm like, I'm directing traffic out here? Are you kidding me? Like when, when you have a, a purpose, there's something about the way that God's wired us that we have this desire, and men, we still have that, ladies too, but we still have that to this day. We have a desire to have a purpose, to have a purpose. And the thing in the present that we have that's encouraging, look what, how Paul introduces himself right out of, out of the gates, his purpose. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He was very clear about his identity, even in his introduction to the letter. He's saying, my purpose, my calling, who I am, is an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle of Jesus Christ. The word parallels apostle and ambassador are very similar. I was, I was doing a little reading on that. I thought that was cool in light of our study last week when we we're looking at what our personal call is, what our purpose is, being, uh, being an ambassador, a representative of the king in the world around us. So the purpose that he describes there, he's saying, man, he says, I am, this is who I am. 
That's my purpose. I'm an ambassador. I'm an apostle. I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. That should get us excited just thinking about that reality that we have that call placed on our life. All of a sudden, it takes a, a meaningless existence to all of a sudden having purpose. All of a sudden having purpose. I was thinking about it. What if, uh, what if in our, our email signatures, what if we started including uh, Scott Kegel and then ambassador of Jesus Christ? That's what scripture says. Like I, I, I've noticed people's, people's signatures are getting longer and longer. Have you guys noticed all the things that, I think John Spock wins. If you've ever gotten a, a, an email from John Spock, it's like, it's like longer than the, the, like the, the warning labels on a drug thing. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it just keeps going and going and going. But how cool if we started to see ourselves as like, hey, that's part of my, my identity. I, when, when I describe myself, when I introduce myself, seeing myself as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. The next thing that we have in our present thing to look forward to is the adventure of it all. In the text there, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. I caught my, my eye there is the idea of by the will of God. You see, there's a certain degree of adventure when you stop pursuing my will and my plan and you start the adventure of what is God's will for my life? What does he want to do in and through me? Like what, is, what crazy plan does he have for me? What, what crazy next step? What does my day ahead look like when it's submitted to the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? When you're thinking about God's will for your life, all of a sudden there's an adventure to it. My, life, my wife gives me a hard time because I'm, I'm one of those people that doesn't like to watch movies a second time. Anybody else in the, this camp? Like, it drives me crazy when somebody wants to pop in a movie and I'm like, I've seen that. I know how it's going to end. I know all the details. There's no adventure to it because I know what's going to happen. My wife has a short memory, so every time we watch a movie, it's, a, it's new to her. Uh, uh, she jokes about it. It's true. Um, but, but what I was thinking about that, the parallel there, is just like how true that is in the, the adventure of following Christ. If you have your whole next 20 years, 30 years mapped out and planned out, what adventure is that? You know what I'm saying? When you know how it's going to end, when you've got a plan, but, but, but when you all of a sudden say, hey, I don't know where God's going to take me. It's his will. It's not my plan. It's his will. All of a sudden that brings in our present day, it gives some crazy adventure to it. Like if somebody would have told me 14 months ago I was going to be living in Agora Hills preaching to you folks, like I would have been like, no way, that's crazy. And, uh, and, and, but, but the adventure of following God's will, just seeing where he's going to kind of move this piece and orchestrate this, there's something to be said about that as something bit of encouragement. So we have a purpose we have the adventure of following Christ. And the next thing I want to point out there that he addresses in the text in those first couple verses is this idea of peace. This idea of peace. That's one of the things that we have as an encouragement in our present world. Is as a believer, and he points out three things. He says mercy, grace, and peace. But really, if you think about it, peace is the byproduct of mercy and grace. Mercy, by definition, is not getting what I deserve, eternal punishment. Mercy being uh, something that we receive through Christ. But then grace is this idea, is getting what I don't deserve. So mercy is not getting what I do deserve, but grace is getting what I don't deserve. Does that make sense? 
Your people are like, wait a second. Let me, let me say those definitions one more time. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve, eternal punishment. Grace is getting what I don't deserve, restored relationship with God, new identity, purpose, eternal security. The things that come through grace leads to what? Peace. A certain degree of peace that we have when we have our eternity secured. My, my, my wife and I were, were talking to um, Alexa, and she was talking about one of her classmates, and they had gotten into a spiritual conversation at school, which was kind of cool. And, and one of the things that, that my daughter said is she's like, this girl believes that there's a thousand gods. I'm like, interesting. And, uh, and, and I was just thinking about that a little bit even last night when I was thinking through this message of like, what does that person that has no idea what their eternity looks like. They're laying in bed with just, I mean, no hope, no peace, no comfort for what the future holds. Like, what does that life look like? What does that existence look like when you just have no security that you, you don't know that there's going to be mercy? You don't experience grace. You have no peace. And that's what he's pointing out, uh, Paul's pointing out, even in this initial couple lines, is he's saying to, the, to him, he's saying, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, that's what Christ has to offer to us. Are we embracing that? Are we living the adventure that it is? Are we, are we so planned out and mapped out that we've got the next 20 years figured out? Are we living the adventure of following God's will? Are we experiencing those three primary things? Purpose. Peace, adventure, those are some of the things that we have to look forward to even in this moment, even in the present. He goes on to, into the text and he points out another area that we can find encouragement to uh, for keeping on. Verse 3 says this, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. The second area I put the title of, you have people that care about you deeply, so keep on. You have people that care about you deeply. The first one that I think is pretty cool that you see in the, in the text there is, is the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. It has to do with, with friends. Is this idea that, that Paul, can you imagine the, the depth of relationship where you start hearing words like beloved child? That's what he described him as in verse 2. He says, I thank God for you. He says that he's praying for him constantly. That, he's, that if he sees him, he's going to be filled with joy. Like, how awesome is that? Can you imagine getting that letter from Paul? Like, how encouraging that would be? Just like the, the foundation, the bedrock of the church. And you're, and you're like, man, Paul, Paul like, cares about me deeply. Like, what a gift that is presently that we have to experience. Really, that's our, that's our hope even within this church is that we move past some of the like, hey, Cordial, how you doing on Sundays and move towards depth of relationship. I want to see that within, uh, within our, our life groups, within the different uh, community things that we're doing. I loved a little taste of that even last night in our, our fellowship with the men at the men's ministry event, just seeing God moving towards intimacy and friendships. And this isn't that, that fake kind of intimacy. I don't know. Uh, I, I debated whether to bring this up, but I remember uh, being younger and showing up at different 
uh, parties, uh, we'll just say that, and, and people, there's certain people at those parties after having a few drinks or the I love you guy. Yeah, I don't know if you guys that have maybe, like they, they, would, they would be next to you and they'd be like, man, Scott, I just love you so much. And, and, and the next morning, they don't remember ever saying that. But this is the, the party friends that, that, that it's just like a fleeting. And that's, that's the funny thing is, is even that, that happened maybe in high school and college. But like, we still have that in the world today. People that get all excited to see you, but you're like, we don't really have any degree of a depth of relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like this, what he had, what he's pointing out uh, from Paul. This isn't. It's, it, these aren't just just niceties. This is a, a, a in depth relationship where he's saying, "I'm constantly praying for you. I'm hoping that I get to see you. It's going to bring joy to me." That's one of the things that we have as an encouragement is friends and relationships, people that care about you. My question for us, as I was looking at the text there, is is there anybody that we're constantly praying for? I was convicted by that, just thinking of like, man, that's, a, that's the kind of relationships I want to see within this body of Christ. We started doing something with our, our kids. We started doing a, a, a bulletin board, or, or what would you call that, like a poster board by each of their, their beds where we have listed different prayer requests, things to be praying for, people in the, uh, the church. We've been praying for Jana and her family. We've been praying for uh, just a, a number of different things with our kids before they, uh, before they go to bed. And uh, I was thinking, I was talking to my wife this morning, we've been praying for the McCavery's son, uh, that's that's in the in the military, Keith, and and just just lifting up a number of different things within the body. And I'd love for us to start having that degree of care and concern for each other within this congregation. Just a growing depth of relationship. So you have people that care about you deeply. That mentioning first friends, we see the second piece there in verse five: friends and family as well. Verse five says this: I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, cool names, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. He's saying as a, a word of, to, of encouragement, he's saying, not only do I care about you, but I remember your mom, I remember your grandmother, I remember the legacy of, of, of faith that's brought you to this place where you have this degree of faith that you currently have, that we have people that care about us, family, ancestors. He had a, he had a heritage of this, which was pretty awesome. At least, he mentions at least three different generations, the grandmother, mother, now him, what a gift that is when we're able, some of us might be able to say like, man, I, I can't say that I've had that. Like, I don't have a, a legacy of faith. I can't say that I've, I've had that for three generations and it's such a, such a gift. But what a cool thing for us to consider what we could offer to the next generation, to be the start of that. To be the beginning of that, that legacy, two generations down the line to say, like, I remember Grandpa Scott and, and how he, he was committed to God's word. You know what I'm saying? Like, what a gift that we could give to someone. A number of, of years back, and I couldn't remember if I've shared this. I, I think with a, I, I shared it at the uh, seniors ministry. But a number of years back, uh, we were thinking and talking about this as a family, about the generations that had come to faith, and it started with my grandmother, she attended a Billy Graham crusade. She went to a Billy Graham crusade and uh, had nothing to do with God up until that point in her life. And during one of the altar calls at the end of the, at the, end of the crusade, as you, as you know, where he's just laying out the gospel and our need, desperate need to embrace Jesus' death for the forgiveness of our sins, she went forward and she made that decision right there and then. 
And that redirected everything. She came home, shared Christ with her, with her husband. He ended up accepting my, my grandfather, accepting Christ, then led his, their kids. They had eight kids. Uh, he was one of 19. Isn't that crazy? And, uh, and uh, led, the, led those kids. That's my great-grandmother had 19 kids. Isn't that crazy? Uh, but then led, led that next generation to Christ. And we were looking about it and thinking about it as we were looking at kind of some family tree stuff. So it was four different generations that had come to Christ. And we had this idea. We said, why don't we take a card and write and get as many signatures of all these generations that had been impacted and try to get it into Billy Graham's hands. And, uh, and so that, that's not a, an easy endeavor. But the cool thing is my sister's husband was playing at the time, was a guitarist for, this is a long story, but kind of cool. <laughs> he's playing guitar for Stephen Curtis Chapman. You may have heard of him as a Christian artist. He was his lead guitarist. And he was opening on one of Billy Graham's last crusades. And so one of the last public speaking things that Billy Graham did, he had the opportunity at the end of the event to hand this card, past security, hand it to Billy Graham, and then we're just like, cool, it actually made it into Billy Graham's hand, which was, a, which was an awesome thing. And where that story got even cooler is the next month in Billy Graham's, he does like a monthly newsletter. In the monthly newsletter, he said, the thing that really keeps me going at this stage of, of my life is the multiple generations that are, that are coming and trickling of people coming to Christ. And he posted the copy of our card in his newsletter that he was sending out as an encouragement. So I thought that was kind of a, a, a fun thing, just thinking of how, uh, how that ripple effect and the impact of that, that, that should be an encouragement to us. Those of us that have that legacy that we're just like, man, thank you, God. Thank you for leading my father's father to Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's what, what he's pointing out to the, to the audience there. He's saying, man, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So being encouraged that we have people that, that care about us deeply, friends, but then also family as well. And for some of us, we can start that chain, even starting here today. The third area we're going to see in verse 6 is this last bit of encouragement that he gives them. We're just going through verse 7 there. It says this, this idea of you have the Spirit of God in us. Verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in, which is in you. Through the laying on of my hands, most likely Paul was part of his conversion. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We'll pause there. He says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame. Have you guys noticed how our, our passion for Christ can start to dwindle, can start to flicker a little bit, can start to get smaller and smaller and smaller if we're not careful. It's something that we actually have to take responsibility for. I, I remember being at a, at a camp out and there was a, a guy that we were trying to get that initial fire started. And uh, sometimes as, as a guy, that's kind of like a lot riding on that, you know? <laughs> Uh, like, a, like you're, you're not very manly if you can't get that fire started. And this, this one guy was like, he was sensing the urgency of it. And he's just blowing as hard as he can. And it's just kind of flicker and flicker. And, 
The other guy that was a little bit more uh, in, like taking some initiative, he goes and he gets the, the pump that, that, that fills up the air mattresses, the electric pump. He turns that sucker on, and all of a sudden the fire, I just picture it now, is just, just taking off. That, that's the, the image that comes to mind when you think of fanning the flame that's within us. And that's really a, a responsibility. What, is it, what does it say there? It says, for this re- reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God. For you. A lot of us are, are waiting for somebody else to do that fanning for us, to do that, that inspiration or that charge. But the truth is, our relationship with Christ and the depth and the intimacy, it has to start with us taking responsibility for it. So my question to us this morning is, is are, are we actually fanning into flame the gift of God which is in you? Are we doing that? Are, are we taking the responsibility for that? Are we pursuing an intimate relationship with Christ? He says this idea of, of keeping, he's like, man, I remind you, you have to do this. But I love the encouragement in that as well. He says that the, the gift of God which is in you, this is a gift that's been given to each one of us, the Holy Spirit. If we've embraced Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, as we know, the Holy Spirit sets up camp inside of us. He sets up, a, we have a choice how many rooms in the house we're going to give them. But the, the, the cool thing is that, that it's within you. And it's something, it's not a spirit, he points out, it's not a spirit of fear. But what does he say? It's a spirit of power, love. And self-control, just the exact opposite. The idea of fear, I can't imagine being in prison waiting till your last breath, the, how, how fear would sneak in, wouldn't it? It'd just sneak in, but he's saying, that's not the spirit that's been given to you. There's a spirit that's been given to you that, that, that has no room for fear. No room for fear. For us, if you think about it, what is fear? Fear, if we're honest with ourselves, is fear is a trust issue. Fear is a trust issue. We're not trusting in the sovereignty and goodness of God. Fear is a trust issue. And he's saying that's not what's been put inside of you. You have a spirit of power to conquer fear over our circumstances. You have a spirit of love to deal with people in the difficult situations that, we are, or that we've let fear sneak in. You have, the, you have the spirit of self-control, a, a sound mind. We don't have to be led by our, our emotions, allowing those to guide the ship. He's saying, that's not the spirit that I've left with you. I've, been, I've left you help in all of this. I've given you the gift of that. I've given you the gift of the spirit within you. All three of these areas are things that we can cling to in the, in the present. It's not about eternity somewhere down the line. These are things that we have to hold on to as, a, as a, a word of encouragement. Those three areas, how are we doing those? The first one, the idea of you have so much to look forward to. Do you really live like that? Do you really live like that? Do you live as if, man, man there's, there's some great days ahead for me. I've got tons to look forward to in the present. Man, the adventure of following Christ, the discerning his will. Do we live like that? The, the idea of, uh, of the encouragement that you have people that care about you deeply, clinging to that, clinging to that, investing in those relationships, building those relationships, going deeper, being, taking initiative to that. Even, I was thinking about that even in our, in our marriages. Do we really take advantage of that? Are we investing in that? Like when you start eliminating the option of leaving, then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're based on like, all right, well, how do we make this great? How do we make this a great thing? How do, we, how do we pursue that? And so he's saying, man, are we, do we really lean into caring for each other deeply? 
The last one there, the, the last hope that I mentioned is the idea that you have the, uh, the helper, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you the power to overcome fear, to have victory over, over issues of sin. Over, I mean, you have power beyond our belief. I think we're going to spend uh, eternity kicking ourselves for not tapping into the power that was at our disposal through the Spirit living within us. But these are the things that he spoke to Timothy as a word of encouragement. My prayer and hope this morning is that, that one of those may have hit the bell for you. It may, may have told where you're at this morning and been a word of encouragement for you to keep on keeping on. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this book and this, this, this text here this morning that has a, a sense of urgency, but also a sense of pastoral care that we see from Paul being written to this younger pastor. We thank you for the extension of these words, these reminders for us of, of things that we have to look forward to, of the, of, the, of the base that you've given us of relationships, of the Holy Spirit that you've deposited within us, God. I just pray that we would even cling to those even in the week ahead, that you'd ring those true in our mind, that they'd be great reminders for us to keep on, to keep on fanning the flame, keep on running the race. God, we know that's only possible through you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Kind of fun because that's probably the song my grandmother went forward to. And so uh, excited to be together here this morning. If there's something that we can care for you as a wait in prayer, we have some elders that are coming forward now. We'd love to do that. I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord.